You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. Let's try something a little different. I put together a Meet the Media panel for the PRSA uh, for professional development, national headquarters. It was a panel of entertainment journalists. And I want to play for you some excerpts uh, from the discussion that we had um, uh, several months back. Uh, The first clip is um, John Horn, who used to be with Newsweek. I met John uh, when he was covering the Salt Lake 2002 World Olympics. Um, I handled the PR for opening ceremonies for that. He is now with LA Times. And he is a uh, entertainment uh, beat reporter, and uh, he had this to say about the types of stories he's interested in today. To me, the most interesting ongoing story is the story about how the changing economics of Hollywood are affecting the kinds of movies that are being made, um, both on the kind of the high end and the big tentpole action summer movies, and then on the low end, and whether or not kind of the interesting difficult drama is still getting made and how hard those movies are to mount. On the call, we also had Kevin Cassidy. He's the special features editor at The Hollywood Reporter. Now, The Hollywood Reporter, one of two entertainment trade rags, uh, is a news uh, book. They don't really handle features. If they do a feature, it winds up in a special issue. They'll have, like, the special film and TV you know, special issue four times a month. They'll have a special issue on the Oscars, actually several of them. So, you know, if you want to land a feature in The Hard Reporter, Kevin's the guy that you talk to. And uh, he's a very sharp guy. He actually co-hosted a number of episodes of the film and TV music podcast uh, that my firm produces for a client uh, uh, production music um, company by the name of APM, uh, which is owned by EMI Music uh, in your on your side of the pond, uh, Neville. <clears throat> and um, he's a very sharp guy. He had this to say about his frustrations about migrating online to big organization, big news-gathering organization like The Hollywood Reporter. The people who make the decisions about how we're going to change going forward, they, have, they need to make those, those decisions now. They, may, they need to make them yesterday. We don't... Um... The traditional model obviously is not going to get it done in the future. And uh, again, I'm not I'm not one of the people to make those decisions, but I think that um, a new strategy needs to be formulated, and it needs to be formulated immediately. We also had Bill Kevney, who's an entertainment beat reporter at the USA Today on the line. USA Today, I think, has the largest circulation of any newspaper in the U.S., um, second, I think after that, other uh, national daily is the journal, and then third is the New York Times. Uh, you know, for listeners outside of the of the uh, U.S., those are really the only three papers that are available nationally in the U.S. Um, every other paper is either local or regional. Um, so those are the guys that are managing to stay alive 
uh, amidst the carnage. And Bill Kevney's been there for a long time. And I talked to him a little bit about uh, multimedia and whether or not they're trying to, you know, double up and maybe record the interviews that they do when they do them and then try to maybe release that online as part of an extended uh, online package with multimedia. And it was interesting what he had to say with some of this. We're looking for more ways to be multimedia, although it's, you know, some of it's an adjustment for us and uh, uh, some of it is um, because it's new and different. Uh, I've sometimes found people saying no uh, to those requests uh, simply because they don't, um, you know, they haven't dealt with this thing or they're not familiar with us in that regard, and therefore it's better to avoid. But it's it's the kind of thing we have to provide more of, uh, you know, to, to make the most of our access. We produce Meet the Media teleseminars once a month for the Public Relations Society of America. And I believe the next month we are going to be doing TV and radio talk show bookers. After that, I believe we are going to do travel media. After that, I believe we are going to do financial reporters, and then we do newswires. It's a different sub, uh, panel of reporters every month. If you want to find out uh, where you can sign up to attend those and hear everything these reporters have to say about how they like to work with public relations people and how new media is changing the way they do their jobs and how they figure out what they're going to write about, uh, you can go to www.ipressroom.com forward slash events. Today we have a very special treat for you. Um, I have a recording of the keynote speech uh, that was presented by New York Times media business columnist David Carr at the Digital Impact Conference um, in New York last month, uh, which I chaired for the Public Relations Society of America. Uh, I had the uh, honor of interviewing uh, David Carr for this podcast uh, over a year ago. Uh, he writes a column in the uh, Monday business page of the New York Times. It appears on the cover uh, left-hand column of the business page, and it's called Media Equation, and it's a fascinating column. Uh, in, adi- in addition to being able to uh, really uh, describe in simple uh, layman's terms how new media is changing the media business and the and the entertainment landscape, he also has a terrific sense of humor. I think you're really going to enjoy this. Um, so I would like to play for you uh, the keynote speech with David Carr in its entirety after this. Don't be left behind. Get the latest online PR tools and services from my press room. Powerful, easy to use, available on demand. Extend your sphere of influence online with iPressroom, tools for online media centers, virtual private press rooms, RSS news feeds, podcasts, and more at www.ipressroom.com. iPressroom, always on, even when you're off. Well, good morning, everybody. We had a nice night last night in New York City. Um, I am uh, really excited to introduce our keynote this morning. Uh, I, I was thrilled when he accepted the invitation to, to be here today. Um, yeah. David Carr writes a column for the Monday Business section of the New York Times, uh, which focuses on media issues, including print, digital film, radio, and television. And he also works on general assignment um, uh, for the Culture Desk of the New York Times, covering all aspects of popular culture. And for the past three seasons, he's done a, a, on, uh, a blog about the Oscars uh, called The Carpetbagger with, uh, with video segments. Um, he's been, uh, for the past 25 years, writing about media as it intersects with business, culture, and government. 
Uh, he began at the Times in 02, covering the magazine, publishing industry for the business section. <clears throat> and uh, prior to arriving at the Times, he was a contributing writer for the Atlantic Monthly and uh, New York Magazine, uh, writing articles that range from Homeland Security to um, the movie industry. And in 2000, he was a uh, media writer for Inside.com, uh, a web news site focusing on publishing, uh, po- focusing on the business of entertainment and publishing. Uh, I was I interviewed him about a year ago for my for On the Record Online, and uh, it's my pleasure to introduce to you David Carr. caveats before we start. One is, anybody who gets up in front of you today and acts like they know what's going on right now, um, I get your shaker assault out. I think we've entered a sort of epoch where the velocity and change just cannot be anticipated. I don't, um, speeches that I gave a year ago are completely out of date and dead wrong. And I don't think, um, we're seeing metrics in social media, in broadband, in print, that no one would have anticipated. The curves, lines are crossing a lot more quickly, the downs are a lot more sharp, the ups are breathtakingly fast. So any sort of like affirmative statement that I would uh, make about what the future is going to uh, look like um, all caveats apply. I just don't, um, I don't think people really can anticipate given, uh, given the things that are going on. We can make some good guesses and good bets and my organization is and yours is too, but I don't, I don't want to act like I know anything. My credentials as a technologist are a little suspect. Um, in 1988, I had been on a journalism business for, I don't know, a year or two. And I, I finally did a story for someone. He said, just just fax it to me. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you like go to Kinko's and there's a machine. And you stick the paper in the machine. And it goes through the wire and then it comes out here as a page. And I said, that's bullshit. (laughs) That can't possibly be true. And he had to explain thermal paper, analog phone lines. He had to go through the whole technology sort of spectrum in order for me to to, uh, believe him. So I started out as, you know, Fred Flintstone. I've been coming along as quickly as I can, as we all have. Um, being in this neighborhood, I, I mean, I'm a word guy. And so being in this neighborhood, of course, um, it's, you're bound to think of, of, you know, our fellow citizens that died here and the buildings that fell down. I can remember being down here and I think it was about four or five in the afternoon. I was up at church and chambers. You would come into the site and then kind of get blown back out by security. It's chaos, so you could pretty much do what you want. And building seven came falling down, and I was like, what, four or five blocks up. And I experienced, you know, one 
one hundredth probably of what other people standing here, including my colleagues at the Wall Street Journal, experience of this stuff coming up the street. Like, what is that wall of crap? What 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 is coming at me? And I dove under a car, and there was um, there was a pigeon under the car too, and. We had this sort of interspecies moment, like <laughs> looking at each other and saying, "What the frick is going on?" <laughs> the other thing I found under that car, and I took it as a message. I'm not making this up. Is a copy of uh, uh, Strunk and White, and that is the elements of style is the urtext of what I do. I can't write that way, but I admire it. Um, simple, elegant language to explain, explain in this instance unspeakable events. So I kept the book, and I believe in words, and I believe that those of us who are in the words business, um, uh, regardless of how buildings fall or paradigms shift, are still going to matter. What we do is going to be a big deal, but it's under, I think, you know, significant threat. Um, I, I park at the Port Authority on top of the building. I live in New Jersey, and I come out there usually at sunset, and I, I spend time. Um, maybe like you, I've, I've left a shop where there's the sheet cake, there's the bad champagne, and we're saying goodbye to a colleague, and, and I think to myself, what's going to happen, really? What's going to happen? Is this... Is this a shift, or is this a, is is this the end of, of, of what I know? And so, I look west and see the sunset. And the uh, um, I don't think it's ending. I don't. I think it's changing radically. Um, part of what we're up against, obviously, is a lot of clutter. My talk today will be companion media. All you guys are going to be on Blackberries. All you guys are going to be on iPhones. You're going to be on your. Um, Computers and I don't. I don't blame you. I'm busy. Um, you know, each of us gets several hundred emails a day. Forty of which probably we need to pay attention to. Six of which are sort of make or break. Um, I have to go home at the end of the night and just deal. I, I prioritize my email during the day, but I don't. Uh, um, I don't really answer anything because if I answer at the velocity that I'm going, I'm going to say something stupid and lose my job. So, um, and then once you're done with the email, then you're going to tweak your Facebook account a little bit and send your mom some pictures from Snapfish and what your friend told you about that song on iTunes that you should get. And you've got that e-music subscription, so you better check in what's going on there. And once you get done doing all that and you get up and you look at that nightstand with the New Yorker on it and your friend's book and all the stuff you got on TV and go, you know what, I need a nap. <laughs> I got to sleep in here somewhere. And so this fight for mindship, which is what we, what we have in common. I have content, you have content, you have message, I have message, and we got to fight past all this stuff. And a lot of it is already sort of set up and being pushed toward. I, got, I have a Google reader that delivers me a certain stream of information, and it's like, how do you get into that? How do you get what's being pushed toward me? Um, the, uh, um, 
People are hung up on personal media. They're hung up on social media. Um, and I don't blame it. Blame them. I'm not immune to those blandishments. Um, the, um, this is a boring sort of numbers slide. But I do think, when you think, when, when you talk 45% in the last year of vid sharing, um, you know, we, we, we were ta- Eric and I were talking before about implications to the people who own the pipes. But boy, it's got implications to people like you and me. Um, right when we get done with all this broadband penetration, pretty soon there's going to be ubiquitous wireless, not just in cities, but in rural areas as well. A couple of years three, four years. Remember my caveats, but that's what I'm guessing. Um, the other thing is, is these consumers are producers, right? They're constantly making stuff. They're making stuff for their friends. Um, and their friends look at them. And some of their non-friends. These blogs get read. I, I have some numbers on Times blogs that I think will surprise you. And um, I always think of the New York Times... You know, the majesty of the place is not really apparent from within. You feel like you're at an insurance company most of the time. It's, it looks like any other place. But I get away from there for a couple of days. Like, um, I was reading it on the ferry this morning. I was like, damn, this thing is really good. This is really good. It's one of humankind's most amazing creations. But there's another one, Wikipedia. Aren't you always stunned when you open up how deep how amazingly efficacious the information is, how they've created this big self-cleaning oven that just gets better and better all the time. It's global in scope, covers almost everything. We could type in almost anything and we'd come up with some kind of, some kind of uh, take from Wikipedia on what we were talking about. Um, You guys know this, but I think you just have to think about it. Is is I'm in the push business, you're in the push business, but it's a pole world. They're picky. They're picky. So the whole I think you gotta get your 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 mind around that. It's it is it goes from how can I overwhelm them with force to how can I kind of put the hula skirt and coconuts on and dance in such a way that they want me. They want to have me. You know what I mean? It's, it, 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 it's pull. It's a very different dynamic. Um, this is what it means to me. Um, we now have ratings. Used to be you get on the front page of the New York Times, where I almost never go, by the way. Um, you can measure it in dog ears, how often I get there. Um, the, as, as my editor said, well, you're really not that kind of writer, and I said, oh, thanks for that. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, but uh, I can make an on-most email, and that is probably the bigger, better metric going forward. You wouldn't believe, and you don't have to, you don't have to watch it. All you got to do is watch through the the newsroom, you get it. Saw you're on the list. You're on the list. Saw you're on the list. Over and over and over again. Now, there's ways to gain the list. You can talk about dogs. You can talk about middle-aged sex. That will totally get them going. 
Um, or you can talk about Hillary Clinton or, or, or whatever. But the list is really important. Um, free is the only price point that matters. I think that that's sort of obvious, but, but think of this. We did a huge Web 2.0 um, rethink of what we do. And we came up with a website that I think most people would agree is pretty spectacular. It's great. Easy to use. Simple, easy UI. We did what everybody does on the web when they design, which is steal everything that's working and screw it into a simple, easy UI, right? And at the time, Jack Schaefer, and I used to work at Washington City Paper, and so I know Jack a little bit. Second day, we, we did that. He, he looked at our web and said, okay, you win. I'm going to quit sending you $650 every year. Congratulations. You won the war. So, a future or a gallows, it's hard to figure. No matter what, if you're doing mainstream media, you guys aren't stuck there, but I am. Um, we're talking smaller slice, smaller pie. All metrics going that way. Now, we can end up with a rich demographic that we can totally make a living off of, but in terms of the print side. On the digital side, our audience is limitless. We've never been read by more uh, kids than we are now. We've uh, never had broader global reach than we have now. The only thing it lacks is a business model to go with it. Those people are worth a nickel on the dollar of what they might be in print. Um, this is what I think it means for, for you. And you know what, I'm just guessing. I don't. I know. I, I I used to work in your business. Um, I used to do uh, some political work. All my one of my crowning political achievements was when Paul Wellstone was uh, first a senator. He decided to go to the Vietnam Vets Memorial and make a speech against then Mason War. Right? As public relations professionals, you probably would ask yourself. Let me see, is that guy a vet? No. Has he been in the Senate more than two minutes? No. Should he really be making a speech about foreign policy right now? No, he got totally smoked. And so I had to go back into journalism. I stunk up to join. Um, one thing I think is important is, and you see this over and over where um, some of the... Um, dinosaurs in your business or the great uh, monarchs of your business believe that they can just, you know, grab the rotary phone and make things happen. They can't anymore. It doesn't work like that. A lot of times when they want to fix something or get something done, it's already performed a jailbreak and it's gone. There's nothing they can do about it. There's no more sort of one-to-one, -one, uh, you know, make it so we'll invent what the truth is. It's a much more viral sort of thing. Um, I think there's this Wall Street Journal story about um, Dell, and it was it appeared elsewhere. I, I, did you guys see this? Where Dell used to have a lot of enemies on the web and was getting clobbered routinely on product stuff, on software stuff, on price point stuff, and they made a decision as a corporation. You know what? We're going to engage these guys. Not just these few guys at TechCrunch, but the guys at the Daily Blogs whose computers aren't working, 
and they began a conversation. I think it's Jeff Jarvis that says, the web is not a megaphone for you or for me. It's a listening device. And you gotta, people are interested in conversation. And the cool thing is, and I deal with this in reader emails all the time, if you listen to people, they feel extremely validated, feel a lot more reasonable. In the instance of Dell, when they came out with their cute little new red computer, I don't know if you've seen it, it's gorgeous, it just went crazy on the blogs. And the blogs embraced the product, embraced the company. Dell, not a cool company as far as the blogosphere goes, just a couple years ago. And now their product is, is, is getting, uh, you know, praised and talked about what changed? What was the big paradigm shift? Did they come up with the product that's such a game shifter that they... No, they just started listening and started talking. And, um, you know, they have a company blog. They respond to almost every complaint they see out in the blogosphere. They engage over and over again. And I think there's a big lesson in that one that you have to... You know, convince your clients that we're going to have to be proactive and go out there and look for ourselves, not just keep pushing stuff out there. Um, I, I saw this. I, I was doing doing a, a column about something else, but I was thinking about this presentation. And I do think that um, the ad business, and we get into it a little bit, but the ad business, the media business, the public relations business, all have this issue, and it's worth thinking about. Um, <clears throat> I do think a lot of contacts that people have are, Eric and I were talking about the long tail. Your content should have a pretty long tail. Chris Anderson's concept of, you know, really, really big, important, important, and then small, small, small. Because you're going to end up in various verticals where you want to be able, either through labeling or sorting, be able to go into verticals and talk to exactly, precisely who you want to. There's, there's a lot of targeting opportunities on the web, but they're no good unless you use them, unless you have the information and, and, and you have the context to make it happen. Um, like sometimes, you know, your clients are always wondering what the Post is going to say, what the New York Times is going to say, what the NBC is going to say. You know what? A lot of times it doesn't really matter what they're going to say. Information bubbles from the ground up. I think there's a lot of opportunity without going all astroturf on something of, 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 of growing things from the ground up, cultivating things from the roots. Where does much mainstream media get their information? It's out on the blogosphere where you are and they're getting fed in, and you build up enough noise up there, and you don't even have to make the phone call. They're making the phone call to you. The other thing is, and Eric and I talked about this, is you know, search optimization, I think, is, you know, it's something those guys in the back room do, 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 but you know what? It's super important. If you can't, with the, with, with, with the clutter, the amount of clutter out there, if you can't be seen, you cannot be heard. It just won't happen. Um, so we talked about the New York Times. Um, I'm interested in iTunes and Hulu because what iTunes is saying over and over is um, that 
music and movies and television shows is cheap, ubiquitous software that they're going to use to animate their devices. In other words, every song in the world costs 99 cents. Could be a, you know, a duet with Celine Dion and Eddie Murphy, that costs 99 cents. The, the, the number two song last week, that costs 99 cents. It's a flat world where he is absolutely determined. Same with television shows, no matter how popular they are, buck 99. NBC and Fox, um, and I think there is a message in this, got together, screwed together a website called Hulu that immediately got bigger than both their websites combined. And they have simple, easy interface, um, deep, rich content, because it's both their schedules available for streaming at that time, and free, which is the only price point, I think, that matters. Um, and it immediately got bigger than both their websites. More importantly, they ended up with the counter-argument so when YouTube says, hey, we're just, <clears throat> yeah, I know your show is on our site. We're just promoting what you do. You can say back if you're NBC or Fox, no, you're stealing what we do. We're in this business. Consumer wants to see this stuff. Then come and see it at a place where uh, the benefits accrue to the people who own the rights and who created the content. And I think that sort of federated model with, um, with a kind of an embedded moral argument uh, against file sharing and or stealing is going to be an important fact to life going forward. Not directly related to what you do, but something I think about a lot. What if there were federated news providers and um, you had one central place? Warren Buffett has talked about it. He's talked about charging consumers. I don't see it. You. The, other, the thing that I, I, I put myself in, the, uh, in your chair for about five minutes, and I was thinking to myself, boy, it is such a different world, isn't it? I mean, when, you, when you're thinking about getting something out there, doing that, let's say there's something super nasty out there about your client, and you're doing the fire engine thing where you're pulling up with all the trucks and, and, and just trying to get a hose on the fire, wherever it is. But you have to pick where to start. So if, if your guy or your gal really has a problem and, it's, and it seems sort of viral, do you start with page six or do you start with Gawker? Gawker, who's going to make the biggest problem? you got a device that you think is really going to be a game changer. Do you start with Engadget or do you start with Walt Mossberg? Tough to know, isn't it? Know what I mean? It's old media versus new media. Um, I sometimes worry that the web is the end of long thoughts, but then again, um, if you look at what kids are reading, like go, Jezebel is an extremely popular uh, uh, site with women. It's one of Nick Denton's sites. Yeah, there's, they're only in these little pieces, but what people are really reading is comments sort of end to end, and it's, it's great writing, it's really dynamic, and it's thousands and thousands of words. If you go to Pitchfork, which is a really popular uh, website with young people, 8 million hits a month, uh, for people who are involved in a certain kind of music, you know, the alt music, alt rock uh, scene, when you open up the Village Voice and you see they're doing 200-word record reviews, you go, whatever happened to the 1,800-word uh, story about Radiohead's last record? It's on Pitchfork. Still there. Kids will read if they're compelled. 
Um, I don't know what that last thing means. I think I just typed it. I don't know what that <laughs> was. Um, you know what? Eric and I will argue about podcasts afterwards. Um, the, I don't like podcasts because they're not searchable because they're generally too long. I like short form video and text because text is searchable. But one thing I want to remind you, and I, I, I was speaking to some journalists this weekend, never forget that, yes, it's a more complicated, more difficult world out there, but your desktop, my, my bag contains more computing power than the entire newsroom of what I walked into. I've got digital photo, digital audio recording. Um, I've got wireless, I've got... I got every goddamn doodad you can have. And, um, you shouldn't forget that your desktop, just as you sit, makes, yes, you're up against greater and greater challenges, but you're so much more powerful than you used to be. Just using available, ubiquitous technology that's on your desktop. I mean, Gmail um, is 10 times the database of anything I ever worked with 10 years ago my own email account, just what's in there, and searchable and knowable. So don't forget, yes, you're up against uh, longer odds, but you've got a bigger toolbox um, than, than the folks did 10 years ago. Um, and then the rest of the stuff, you can just kind of read blah, 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 blah. Okay. Um, this is just me and you talking whenever I speak to... Uh, Whenever these twains meet, um, this deal about did you get my email, did you get my fax, did you get my voicemail, all very reliable technologies, okay? <laughs> I did. And using it as a cover to try and uh, put another touch on me, not going to work, especially in this day and age. It's over. Stop it. Don't have your junior deputy dog call me. Did you get our email? Yes. I got your freaking email and 400 others. If it applies to me, I'm going to act on it. Um, one thing I notice is I'm getting, because you guys have these lists, I'm getting these great big blasts over and over. Well, something will stick. Something will, somebody will grab onto this. You know what? Maybe not. Maybe one letter to the person that you want that engages them on their point of interest, solves their specific problem, is better than those 4,000 emails that you sent out. I really believe, and I, I have people, I work in the movie business, sometimes I work in the media business, and sometimes people will have something, they know what I do, they know how I do it, they know what engages me, and uh, they come up with the pitch where it's like, all I gotta do is make the phone calls and finish. It's got embedded links in it to related material, it isn't that we're lazy so much as we're just incredibly busy. And if you, if you, you know, if you gift wrap something and hand it to somebody that's only for them, I was thinking of you. They're gonna grab it, I think. Um, I always remind um, people that it's like you guys are. You're all in New York, right? Is that true? No. no. Uh, where are you from? All over. Okay, so this only applies sort of half as much, but if you, 
If you're going to do business where you're doing business, well, no, it applies, I guess, because we're in this flat universe. What you think is a small fry, you just never know. A couple years uh, later, I came to New York um, seven years ago to get something called Inside.com, which is a media news site. And nobody knew what it was. It was put out by Kurt Anderson and Michael Hirschhorn, a couple of really smart guys. It was a little before its time. Again, no business model problem. 25 million bucks later, you know, whistles blew, smoke came out, and we were all thrown onto the street, but it was fun while it lasted. You know, there were people in your industry that showed me terrific kindness back then, that took the time to educate me. I was new to New York, just fell off the turnip truck, and at times when I needed to be competitive with larger organizations, because I was polite and because I was nice, it took care of my informational needs. You can bet I look after those guys today. So and and so I got a bigger megaphone, but I, I see it over and over. I, I used to wait tables for seven years, and I think that people who take the time to treat supposedly small people well, it's one of the great greatest sort of indicators of success going forward. You don't know in a really flat age who your friend or who your enemy is. So um, it, you shouldn't just try to lick the face of, of the New York Times. Sometimes that kid in the basement two years from now is going to be a very important person in your life, and you got to pay attention to him. Uh, um, I get I get pitched. I did, I did a story, and admittedly it was like way down deep in, in uh, Sunday Arts and Leisure about John Cusack's new movie, uh, War Inc., you know what? It was a pain in the ass. We did eye chant. We did went through all these hoops, and I did this story. And uh, uh, three days later, uh, somebody called and said, "Oh, you do this carpetbagger uh, movie blog? Do you do you want to talk to John Cusack?" And like I wrote her name down, etched it into the desk, and just uh, I'm never talking to that twit again. She won't even read about her client for Christ's sake. Won't even stay stay up on it. So that's, um, and I realize you're up against the same thing I am, which is stuff, 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 stuff. But whatever interest you have, I think you have to stay on top of it. Use RSS feeds to make sure that it shows up on your desktop over and over so you know. Um, We talked about building stuff from the ground up. That's my opinion. That's just me guessing about your business. But I've seen stuff start small, get huge. Um, and then this is just... What, what people always say is, well, it couldn't, it couldn't hurt to make that phone call. Yes, it could. I'm going to think you're a twit because you're... You did, what, what, why? This guy or this girl thinks their new job is... Is a big deal, and you just have to tell them it's not. I, I, great for your family, great for your kids. I'm sure your mom is really excited. The New York Times does not care. They don't. It's like keep your powder dry. Don't make that phone call. Don't do that touch. Why? Because because they make you. It's your job to educate your client. I mean, I, so many times I've had um, in the movie industry. Uh, Public relations people are incredibly powerful. It's unbelievable the things that they can do because they control talent. 
And I, I just had one, I'm going to leave her name out of it, just staring at me, screaming at me, making that little fist thing and like spit coming out of her mouth. And I finally said, one, you need to take a walk and have a salad. Just think about it. For a sec. Number two, you're screaming about something that appeared in a movie blog. You need to get your clients under control. Tell them to quit reading the blogs. Quit freaking out. Don't try and manage me. Manage them. Because that's, that's just going to be such a challenge for you going forward. Because if you want, um, if your client wants to find something bad about them being set out there, they will be able to find it. We can type in David Carr's thoughts and we're going to find it. And they're not going to be talking about a quarterback that's coming to the Giants. They'll be talking about me. And a lot of it will not be true. But I'm not going to hunt it down. And um, The other night I was out in Philly with some guys, and this this one kid who was long blogged about us all getting drunk as goats and yelling, I don't drink. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's got to be water off that pack. you got to keep moving, keep moving. Um, how are we doing on time? How long are we going? We're good. Well, like, are we going to 9.30? Yeah. yeah. I'm just wondering how many of these boring slides I should do. <laughs> um, you know this stuff, right? Um, okay, this is times just... Um, one th- I just want to draw your attention to the page views on the blogs. Fran, crazy. The day after the Oscars, seven, 7 million hits on the Oscar block. Crazy. Um, this is my job. I do a Monday media column. So if, when you call me and my hair seems on fire, Monday media column, I'm doing something for Sunday Arts and Leisure about Get Smart. During this season, four months, I blog about the Oscars. I make weekly videos. I do special event coverage. I, uh, I was at Sun Valley. I'm going to cover both conventions. I'm going to Bonnaroo, the music festival, on Friday. And then there's this incoming email. It's just crazy. I think we're far too available. I'm in constant conversation with my readers. Um, and the blog just eats me alive. It's, here's the thing. Part of, part of it is... The blog itself and the format, like I, I did a book and they said, oh, your blog will go right here. And I said, my blog will not go right there. My community might, but my blog will not. And they said, oh, no, you only have to post XX, XX. I will post all the time because I'm wondering what they think, what they want. It's, you become a day trader in sort of your own brand and you want to jack in and say, well, what do they think of me now? What about now? How about now? What about now? What about now? Pretty soon the day is gone. So the blog, any of you who are blogging, I'm sure a lot of you are, you know once you get the bug, it will freaking eat you alive. So be careful. Don't start a blog unless you're, you know. I don't know how many times I've heard a friend say, I'm going to just stick a toe in and then 
It's like they entered the witness protection program. You see them nine months later, they're still in their jammies eating cereal for dinner. It's like, what? Let's see if we can make this work. Um, This is, let me see. Okay. So here's my thing about Web 2.0, Web 3.0. What's that going to be? It's going to be when the AV works. That's my idea. Um, I went to Web 2.0, which is supposedly the most amazing, okay, uh, technology conference in the world. Okay, I'm supposed to be a serious journalist, but then again, I also do this. So you, it makes for some uh, confusion. Welcome back to the carpet baby, your weekly video of all things Sundance. Stay train for resorting to gimmicks. Today is a deadly chairlift interview with Tommy. I've known Tommy for 20 years. We used to have hobbies in common. Oh, it's a really good line. What did I do to screw it up? Just said. Just say that he wasn't one of them, and we're going to specifics. But he's in three films here. We're going to talk with him about it. We'll give it like ten more seconds, and then just totally nuke it. What a surprise! The AV doesn't work. That is such a stunner. <laughs> it isn't. It's the web. The AV is doing great, my brother. You're doing a great job. <laughs> So that's one thing that I do, right? And then the, um, I think I did 120, 130,000 words on the blog uh, last year, um, just about the Oscars. Like my dad said, I had no idea that you cared about the Oscars. And I said, I don't, but I need the eggs. Um, this is not a standard New York Times voice. Just the, the, ba- the beggar, that would be me, saw Gary Busey on the carpet last Sunday. But did not ask him a question in part because he could not think of one. Besides, what makes your teeth seem so threatening? Is it their size, their shape, their, the crazy Guggenheim stare that floats above them? Um, Mr. Busey apparently used him to, to unwelcome effect on Jennifer Garner's neck and has now hit the penance circuit that links on. It's like, so, this is New York Times, huh? It is. It is what it is. It's what we do. Um, um, I'm not going to like go into it, but the, um, sometimes stuff I file the web ends up in the newspaper, which gets stuff back into the web, and it becomes this big self-cleaning oven. It's just... <laughs> Stuff. So the, the lesson being for you is once you get things in the machine, it'll keep going through the tumbler, get many points of contact. Um, uh, it's just hard to get in there. One thing I wanted to mention, and this is, I don't know who at Google thought of this, but I was at Sun Valley, 
In Sun Valley, the, the media is not, have any ever been, no, they don't allow public relations professionals and reporters are not invited. So my job is to go to Sun Valley for the big mogul summit, the Herb Allen thing. And what you do is you kind of like crouch in bushes and then jump out on Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> and someone wants to, ah! <laughs> And they, none of them will speak to us, and so we're all writing about what kind of tennis shoes they have on, what their shorts look like. And there were eight of us gathered in the bar, and you got Fortune, you got Wall Street Journal, you got TechCrunch, you got, you, everyone is there, Reuters is there, AP. We're just in a circle doing what reporters do, which is bitching about these guys over and over. And um, I got up to go to the bathroom, and um, a guy came in and said, yeah, Eric Schmidt, who runs Google, just came and sat with all the reporters. I said, yeah, and I'm the freaking king of Siam. He said, no, Eric is out there. Two and a half hours of Eric Schmidt, all of us starved. And, and what he was able to do is, is had our complete and undivided attention. Very bright guy, was able to keep it between the lines, stay on message. And the, the amount of noise that that made... He talked to us at 1.30 in the morning. By, by the morning, it was everywhere. My job, because I worked at the New York Times, was to stay up longer than anybody else and do, do, a, do a better job on it, because I knew everyone would be looking at it. Not because it was going to be in the newspaper, but because it was Eric frickin' Schmidt. You know what I mean? So, and I just think, it, whoever like thought that up, uh, whether it was him just on a whim, don't think so. Don't think Google does that whim thing, but uh, uh, whoever thought that up, absolute genius, because I continue to have just an amazing impression. He showed pity on us. He delivered information. He showed a little leg, but not much. It was just like a great new media moment, you know, just enough, a little manna for starving. Um, what's behind this is just an example of um, I did This American Life, and what do you want to do? You want to hear that guy. So all I did was throw a, a digital audio recorder on the table while we talked. I call our web people, and they're like, oh, you got to file to the FTP. You got to blah, blah, blah. You gotta. I said, look, I just sent you something on drops, and it's got a beginning, middle, and end. You can put it up or not. I'm not doing all that other crap. Um, simple, easy, it's right there. Um, one thing I want to talk about is I, I did this I, I did this book. It's about knitting, actually. Um, no, it's not. Um, uh, but what I want to say is is um, because of the age it is, I just went to um, uh, I went to Best Buy and I went to this kid, like 18 years old, and I said I want, want to document everything I'm doing because a lot of these memoirs have fallen apart in plain view. So he sold me a digital video camera, a digital audio recorder, a tripod, a lacy hard drive, a scanner for all the documents, 800 bucks worth of stuff. I got done with my book. I had a 40-gig hard drive and just went to Simon Schuster and said, what is this? Just showed him the external hard drive. He said, it's something. It's a digital media product that we're making right now. And it's just an example of um, how much more powerful we are the things that, that we can do in terms of, of creating uh, content. Um, is any of this valuable? We've been over it. 
Cuban, Cuban, I think, is an interesting example. I mean, you keep thinking he's going to step in it, he's going to get in so much trouble because he's he's meeting his public over and over in unalloyed ways without a public relations professional to assist him. But he does okay, doesn't he? You know who I mean? Mark Cuban owns the Mavericks. And, um, I'm sure you have meetings every day about getting beyond the press release. The one thing I would say is the web fairies... God bless them. Oh, he said, oh, we can't do that. We can't do that. They can. They can. It's a lie. Somewhere in that magic box, they got what you want. Um, this stuff is writ and talked about all the time, but you got to remember that I, I, part of the reason that I fact-checked the book I did is because everyone else is going to anyway. So... I think that's a lesson going forward. I think <clears throat> um, most people in the public relations business don't lie. If they do, they end up out of business. But it's there's the shaving the corner. That's there's the ignoring a certain fact. And I just don't think that stuff works anymore. Um, everybody's worried about who's going to get what. I mean, the ad business is moving toward you guys, wants to take your business and bake, bake the message into the discourse. I think you can get some of their business. I think it's sort of up for grabs. Don't you? Right? No? Yes? Um, there's some good trends. I mean, we're hurting. Yes, we're hard to get a hold of, but a lot of times we're just desperate to get something and sham it. Because because there's this bottomless pit that we have to fill over and over again. Um, and you, you now have a consumer cohort in my 20-year-old daughters. They don't care what's paid or unpaid. They look at Lucky Magazine and they look at both, both kinds of content exactly, precisely the same way. It's not a terrible thing if you're in the public relations business. Um... This, is, this, this deal about you guys ginning up content is not my area of expertise, but there are so many examples. Think of what Disney did with um, um, the Magic Kingdom. They did that game, game to, for its, what was it, its 50th anniversary. Ran for two and a half years. People totally freaked out when they set it down. And you know what? I was there. It was a wonderful little game. You had your own little avatar. My daughter played it. That was basically just PR on steroids. Um, and yes, it was expensive, and yes, it was difficult to manage, and yes, it was a huge win. I also think that the fact that your clients are freaked out is not a bad thing. You can hold their hand and charge them by the hour. <laughs> um, we know about this. Right? Let's get to the conversation. Let's just let's just talk us guys. So what do you guys want to talk about? Why did you laugh nervously when I said that? Don't you want to talk please? I, I have a microphone. That's uh, so that we can tell who we are and where you work.
you don't know? Can't tell? A lot of what works in my videos is very common little MOSs, man on the streets, just bumping around Times Square. And it does have some of the conventions. I mean, I have a, a tagline at the end. I say, remember, they call it Times Square for a reason. And do a little bit of the TV stuff. But mostly it's, like I said, like a homeless guy walking around with a microphone. Anybody, of course, will talk to you. Doesn't matter. They don't care if you're from Danish TV if you have a, a television camera. David, you wrote uh, recently in a column, uh, in a column about uh, I, the Apple trying to get uh, into the movie business, that uh, you know there's this cliche, content is king. But what you wrote was that content's uh, reign or claim on the crown is being challenged by the interface that controls the user experience. What did you mean by that? Well, I didn't talk much about this personal media, but I do think that the, um, I mean, the content that rivets people, like I, I did, I went to the Big Apple Barbecue on Sunday, and my wife uh, runs that event for Danny Meyer. I took a lot of pictures of her, a lot of pictures of our friends, and then um, I uploaded some to Snapfish and printed them, and then I ordered, uh, put up some to Facebook, but then I wanted people in the pictures to know that they were in the pictures, and so then I sent out emails to them, and they sent back emails to me, and so, you know, Facebook maybe made a couple bucks off me here and there, and Snapfish, which is Hewlett Packard, maybe for the offline part of sending me. But for the most part, we weren't taking part in the mainline media uh, conversation. We were just sort of goofing with each other. And is that content? Um, Think so. I think conversation is king, not content right now. It's back and forth. We never even know where where we saw something. I mean, I've been at dinner parties where people are talking about a news item. You get down to it, nobody read the original story. They just see the annotation. Of, I think Bill Powers, the media columnist at the National Journal, said there should be a newspaper called Did You See? Did you see, did you see over and over? And I think that um, there's a professor at um, NYU named Clay Shirkin. is a fairly new book uh, called Here Comes Everybody. It's a beautiful book. You should get it. It's about, um, not just because he's a great writer, and he is, but he's a person who understands what happens when communities gather around a core uh, app or core principle or common interest. And one of the things he told me for a column uh, I was working on is um, uh, narcissism doesn't really know any special demographic. We're all into this. And that again and again, what we most like looking at each other, looking at is each other. I mean, I might get a new Netflix in the door that I'm really dying to see. But then my daughter, who's in Michigan, pops up on iChat. Um, um, you know what? Britney Spears and Madonna could have a jello wrestling contest, and it wouldn't be as interesting to me as talking in live time with my daughter in Michigan. Well, she sits 
in the cafeteria, what is going to be more compelling than that? And when you talk about that sort of, and that's just a conversation that you or I as professionals so far haven't really figured out how to penetrate. Is I'm talking with my daughter, and we're, we're there for a half an hour. There she is live. I mean, what's more compelling than that? That's sort of um, tough to beat. You know what I mean? And again, again, the day cut left over for um, not just offline, but mainline web media gets smaller and smaller and smaller. I mean, you can hardly get, they did, I can just see my kids sitting there, kids, get off your phone, get on the computer. You know, it's like, you can't get them off their phones to even a bigger screen these days. And so, you know, we're not going to talk about how to get your message on the cell phone. I'm sure you have people that are going to do that. My answer is, I don't know. Good luck. I mean, uh, I hope it's two words long. Um, I mean, there's ways to do it. There's ways to do it, but I'm, I'm not the person with expertise to help you with that. Another question? Rich? Thanks, sir. Hi, David. I'm Rich Kaplinski with Gain Capital, a Wall Street commodities firm, and uh, also on the PRSA tech section. Um, quick question. I'm wondering if your theory about what took place with the time select and why it became free for everybody, and is it also, you know, we know it's a matter of eyeballs, right? Are we also going to see more and more uh, original content just on the time site in, in an effort to you know, really continue to attract people to the site? The <coughs> The time select thing was interesting partly because remember when Rupert Murdoch um, bought Wall Street Journal? He said, well, it's totally going free. And then he looked at um, he looked at the money that was coming in and said, nah, maybe not. The other thing, part of what he's thinking about is will there one day be, it doesn't seem like it, but there could be I head back to a pay model. And either micropayments or, um, for us, the growth metrics were um, irresistible. And so we had to let go of, and the people that were behind the wall, Marine Dowd and Frank Rich, I begged and begged not to end up behind that wall. They said, my name's David Schmeckler. Nobody's going to, like, give a rip to go behind the wall. To see me, I'm, I'm not Frank Gregg, so please don't put me back there. You know, Joe Nocera, because he was Joe Nocera, ended up back behind there. It was eventually decided that those are such magnetic people in terms of aggregation of audience. And, and stealing them, it was just that our problem is file sizes. Text files are so small, so easy to steal, just a matter of cut and paste. So we, we finally gave up. The problem with that, Rich, is that on the, um, once we gather that audience, and you saw some of our audience members, we, we don't have an audience problem. We got audience like crazy, like we never had. But what we don't have is scarcity on the ad side. Um, I, I think there has to be a way of, a lot of the way we've made our, I mean, Tiffany's has been buying page three, upper right, in the New York Times for 150 years. They like that spot. We have to, and if you say to somebody, I'm on the back page of uh, the 
uh, front section of the New York Times with a message, they're going to go, well, you dropped some serious coin, you guys are about something. We can't create that feeling of scarcity and that unique adjacency on the web. And I do think that advertising models are going to, um, uh, and toward that, myself, if you look at like the ads on Hulu, and I suggest you do, you don't just have an audio ad. When you, when you hit the audio ad, it pops up into four price points. And you're the fun guy, and you're the rich guy, and you're the woman of means who doesn't want to spend all her money on the car. And it, it, it gets at the issue of choice. I'm thinking that the advertisers should pay more for that because you're getting additional targeting plus me as a consumer Instead of sitting there doing your commercial on television or T-bowing past it, I'm making a choice and clicking on it. And I think, I think those 15-second streaming ads on, on uh, uh, video sites are, a lot of them are incredibly well done. Um, there's, uh, <coughs> there's a lot of... Um, ARP is doing a lot of message ads right now that are really short, really sweet, that are overlaid on some of the polit political sites. I think they're engaged. I think they're cool. I think that that is sort of the standard um, going forward. And I sometimes wonder, um, part of the reason, like I got down with the Carpetbagger last year, and, uh, my third season, and <coughs> kind of got the hang of this Oscar stuff, right? said to my boss, I have no issue with blogging. I like blogging. No issue with making video. I'm a total handle. But I said, the Oscars, you know, is a maypole of American culture. And I, when he had sent me the hero gram about how oh, he had three stories in the paper, he did those videos, all the blogging, great, great, great. We had seven million hits. And I typed back and said, yeah, and the following four people should do this next year. That's this who I think should do it. You could hear birds chirping. You could hear crickets, like nothing. Said nothing. Which is sort of, I'm probably doing the Oscars again this year. And part of the reason I'm doing the Oscars is because it's um, motion. Our advertisers want motion. They want to put motion ads on top of motion, and they're not super picky about what it goes over. Although those videos, you know, are good and fun, and, but it's not like, it's just got to be dynamic media on dynamic media. And those, that's one position that we're able to sell. It's a perfect place to put a movie screen. So you can't basically you know, watch a commercial and then read a story, is what you're saying. They want to put it ad. That's what the ad folks did. I mean, what we would like is the New York Times for what's underneath it. What is that? Is that a story? Is my story about um, uh, Ira Glass? Um, just a story, it's got audio embedded in it. Um, um, you know, a lot of our uh, stuff out of Afghanistan had video components. So we want to train our advertisers and our readers to believe that there's going to be a bunch of reporting on a number of different platforms underneath. You know, we've got a blog out of our Baghdad Bureau that is spectacular. Um, uh, who knows? In terms of like the pay model, um, for us in time select, it didn't seem like it was a close call. It doesn't seem like they've looked back. And we're, we're a straight up audience play. We bought about.com, which is sort of affinity groups. 
And so we've been working to build this really robust number. Um, but what watch Mr. Murdoch in the, the piece that I'm a, um, I'm, I'm a payer at the Wall Street Journal. What does that really mean? My whole subscription costs 99 bucks. I get the web uh, tossed in. What does the web cost to me? I don't know. Who else? Somebody right behind you. I think that's, uh, that's all the time we have for this session, but thanks again for, for coming out for this. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com.